Welcome to this week's episode of One More Round. We were on, we were recording a couple of days early this week because, well, I wasn't sure why we were recording a couple of days early, but it turns out we've got work nights out this week and stuff, so we're doing it on Tuesday, so here's to it. In this week's show, we'll be looking back over another weekend of Premier League football. We'll be previewing Ireland versus Bosnia. Gary will fill us in on what, we've been, what has been happening in the football closer to home, and then we'll have a look at how the four provinces are getting on the Pro 12 and preview their opening fixtures of the Champions Cup. Chris will talk us through the latest happenings in the world of the UFC, and we'll wrap it up by having a chat about the controversy surrounding Russia Russia and Rio 2016. So it's a bit of a jam-packed show we have this week, so let's jump right into it. So, uh, hope you're all well, guys. Um, for the question of the week this week, Gary, you got to choose the topic, and you chose the Premiership. Nice and simple one for me to re- research this week, so here's hoping you can get on the leaderboard. <laughs> I wouldn't be too optimistic, but we'll see. You need a positive attitude, Gary. <laughs> yeah. When the competition's rigged and he still thinks he's not going to win, it doesn't say a lot. <laughs> positive attitude will get you far, Gary. I wouldn't say it's rigged. I don't know the question. Fake. Right. My question on the Premiership this week is, what team has had the most red cards in the Premiership history? You all got that? Yep. yep. Cool. Gary... You've been hour to Google. <laughs> you need this victory. I, I haven't Googled any of the other ones. Why would I start now? Because you need the victory. You're losing. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend you're from Russia. <laughs> right. I don't, know, I, don't know, I don't know if that's an insult or a compliment, but all right. <laughs> it all depends on if you get caught or not. Hey, you want to take that? <laughs> <laughs> right. We'll start off the Premiership, and um, I suppose we'll start off with Stoke v Chelsea, and uh, Chelsea and Mourinho lose again, 1-0 to Stoke. Uh, Stephen, you had to watch it from a hotel room because of a stadium ban. To be honest, at least that way you could turn off at halftime. <laughs> it was, I don't know what's going on. Um, I think everyone kind of assumed it's just a bit of a bad spell and then eventually you turn it around, but doesn't look likely like we're third of the way through the season yeah as in i know my had, had a really bad start a couple of years ago in their moyes but they were at least getting towards mid-table but by this time they were picking up a win or two but apart from the champions league game against kiev chelsea just they don't seem to have any any plan or any structure and as soon as something goes against them the entire team capitulates for the last few weeks we've all been we've all kind of been saying uh, they, they'll come out of it they must come out of it but it just doesn't seem like it's happening like I don't know the squad doesn't look like they don't look happy Costa looks isolated and wants to have looks like he wants to have a fight with everyone Um, I don't know it just they don't seem like a team no they don't and the one time you want leadership is from people 
like Mourinho, who's throwing tantrums, like John Terry, who he dropped, like maybe Fabregas, who seems to have gone back into his shell. The so-called leader we all thought Chelsea always had and would, would always have. Like, even if you look at he wouldn't have been starting games, but even in someone like Petr Cech, they've lost another leader, and it looks as though they haven't figured out a way to to get that back. And whether or not Marino can or not, at this stage, I'm, I'm not sure anymore. Yeah, looking at the, the game itself there, Gary, uh, Arnautovic with the winner, ex-Inter Milan player who played under Mourinho, it was a good finish. Yeah, it was a, it was a good finish, and he's... He's one of those players that he can be. He can do nothing for for eighty nine minutes, and then just out of nowhere, he he put the ball in the back of the net. He's he's one of those players you actually lo- you love to hate. But Stoke were Stoke deserved the win. They Jack Button had very little to do in the game. And Chelsea just didn't look like they they had any answer to them. And going back to what Stephen said, I think the the only thing that's going to change. Like Chelsea will only start getting better. I think when Mourinho's gone, he's the one. He's the one thing. Like he dropped, dropped Matic, dropped Terry, Ivanovic, and like Stephen said, they're all they're all leaders. He's dropped them. They're out of form. So, I think the common thing is Mourinho. He ha- he has to go if Chelsea want to. If Chelsea want to get out of this, like if results go against them, in the next round of Premiership games, they could actually end up in the relegation zone. They they have a handy enough. Kind of next six games, so they're actually handy enough now. I think they've got Leicester and Spurs as their two kind of top teams, I suppose, or teams that are playing well up this season anyway. And the rest are kind of those in the bottom half of the table. But uh, did you hear the news that uh, Diego Simone has been linked with Chelsea? Simeone. Yeah, I I can't say Simeone would leave medical team to go to what Chelsea are now. Chelsea and Pete and Well, surely, surely if Chelsea were champions last season, though. Or have you not just been saying? Have we not been saying that it's more Mourinho than the team? I, yeah, I think it is more. It is more Mourinho than the team. But why? Why would any manager that's at, doing well in a different league want to go and take over? Like, effectively, Simeone would have to do what Van Hal did last year, and that strip pretty much stripped the team out. So, so it is. It is partly the players' fault then as well, is it? Well, I think if you get a new manager in after Mourinho. You're gonna have this whole it's a transition phase and this and that. What Man United are going through now, so they're kind. Of, I think they're kind of stuck. If they get rid of Mourinho, which they probably should do, they have to pay him off. But now they've there was already rumours of people like Rogers and Capello and that just as an interim manager till the end of the season, until they can get probably who they want, which is I'd say Guardiola. But Guardiola, any team he's gone into. They've been like look at the teams he's had: Barcelona, Bayern Munich. He's not going to go to a team that probably won't even make top four this season. Interesting. All right, um, Chris. Looking at the game itself, do you think Chelsea should have had a penalty with uh, on when Remy went? So tried to stay on his feet when Butlin came out. Uh, no, I don't think it was a penalty. Um, it's kind of harsh on Remy. Like I, I was, I thought the same as I'm sure most Chelsea fans did. Like leave your leg there like you've, you've played the ball before the keeper if the keeper touches you it's a foul but he's got he's got out of the keeper's way and then lost his balance so no contact I don't think it was a penalty but he was kind of punished for being a bit too honest so that, that that's what I was going to ask you like, it's so, a stonewall penalty yeah uh, do, do I, you not think 
that like it, it shouldn't it the player shouldn't have to like if like as you said if Butland had hit him he it was a stonewall penalty but the player made an effort to stay on his feet I don't think he should be punished for that I don't think it was a penalty I mean the keeper made no contact like it it was Remy's decision to to hurdle the tackle I don't I don't think it was a foul um, you see outside yeah. the box you see players get booked for intent intent to what did did Butland intend to bring him down or did Remy get past Butland and Butland like if Butland wanted to he probably could have lifted a hand and took him down if he wanted to but you, you see players slide in and the foot might be slightly raised or whatever or even if not but they come sliding in and ref will book them for intent of the challenge yeah and there is precedent for this I can't remember or Crystal probably tell me but the Stephen Ger- was against West Ham the yeah, opening day. Yeah, was against, it was against Sheffield United. And yeah, and the opening day of the season. The, the referee and us got ridiculous criticism for um, for a penalty that shouldn't have been given. Now, it either should be or it shouldn't, but there needs to be like a black and white with this kind of thing. But from my from where I see it, a lot too many of those wouldn't be given for that to have been like said that there had to be a penalty. I think you do run a major risk where if somebody actively tries to avoid going down even though he's been impeded and the referee doesn't give the penalty the next time he's just going to fall over the keeper and you want people to to at least try and stay on their feet and try and play the game in a better spirit if you if you like you could see from Remy he's clearly impeded but by trying to play on he lost his advantage so next time if he's in the same position He's just going to go straight over the keeper and people are going to go, oh, he should have stayed in his feet. But he'll have won the penalty, which for as a footballer in, in your profession is exactly what he needs to do. But, but would that not be then encouraging them to cheat? Exactly. Effectively. Yeah. So, like, what would be what would be the point of that? Like, obviously the game's supposed to be played the right way or whatever, so why encourage someone to cheat when you've already got players who, who dive in that as it is? So why... I condone it more. Yeah, I think if you if you penalise Remy for what happened, and he even penalised for trying to stay in his feet and trying to play advantage, then any manager now will point to that and go, look, if you stay in your feet, you might get the penalty. So do a Michael Owen and go down. Yeah, no, f- fair enough. It's just like, like it's it's bad that it would come to that where you're actually getting encouraged to cheat just to get whatever instead of playing the game the right way. I think that's what Stephen's saying. He's saying that we shouldn't. Mm. The players should have got the penalty. I don't no, think you can start it, it, free kicks and penalties because you think someone's going to make a challenge. No, he did make a challenge. It's not he's he's not going to make a challenge. He made a challenge. But Remy the keeper has to be somewhere in the box. He's always going to be somewhere, and more often than not, he's not touching the player. You can't always get a penalty and a free kick for that. But either way, like, the keeper's in a position. He didn't touch the striker who went past him. I mean, Remy only went down as well when he lost control of the ball. No, he didn't. He, 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 no, in, he in, the process, the in the process of hurdling Buckland, or Butland, he, he, when he, put, he went to put his foot down at an unnatural angle, he tried to keep going but couldn't stay on his feet because of the interference from Butland. And the, I don't, well, then is that not good goalkeeping? He got the striker to, to miss the chance without actually committing a foul? Yeah, I, I I'd agree with you with that one. It is good goalkeeping. Like you, you've seen it, especially early years in the Premiership before all these different rule changes and that came in. If a keeper like Schmeichel, Seaman, who 
whoever it was did something like that, it would be great goalkeeping for putting a striker off and denying him a, denying him a chance without fouling them. And Button yeah, just did the exact out, same. Spread himself, make the goal as, as small as possible, and if the striker can't take it around him and he doesn't foul him, like surely that's well done by Butland. Yeah. Stephen, any response to that? No, I still think it's a penalty, but we we could go back and forth for half an hour on this. I, I don't think either. I think Remy next time will will just leave his foot in there and he'll win a penalty. So it's, it's, and it's essentially you're encouraging him to go down. Exactly, and, and, that's, and that's a bad thing for football in my opinion. It has enough problems with honesty and characters of dubious, um, what's the word? Nature, I suppose. But the yeah, one, yeah. the one player from the Chelsea team who's looked so he's trying to be an upstanding citizen and trying to uphold this. Now maybe he wasn't. He didn't have that going through his mind, but he played this played the, the match in the spirit that, that fans around the world want him to play in, and now he won't do it again. I'm I sure Chelsea fans probably wanted him to go down. But anyway, we could talk about this for probably the whole show, but let's move on. And. Chris, you probably won't talk about this, but Liverpool losing to Palace. Yeah, well, we have to talk about it, unfortunately. Um, to be honest, I thought we played very well. Um, the goal we conceded in the first half was, was sloppy defending from Emery Chan, but as the game went on, we just we seemed to have good control. and We got the we got the equaliser as we, we did against Chelsea. Um Coutinho again. He's on form, isn't he? He certainly is. He's he's worked on it. The goal was very well worked, in fairness, from the right-hand side. And there's a little dummy in the... A little flick by, I think it's Lalana. It just kind of helps it into Coutinho's path. And it's a lovely little finish from him. And from there, we just looked like we were in complete control. And kind of... When Palace scored, I mean, it was poor defending from a corner, but it just seemed like a smash and grab. Like it's not to pull Palace down. Like they they did play quite well, but it just looked like a game we were in complete control of, and we missed some really good chances. And Benteke was the main culprit. A couple of headers went from great deliveries, and he just he didn't even hit the target. It was one. He was only a couple of yards out, wasn't it? Yeah, it just looked like it was made from at the back post. Yeah, he just kind of looped it just over the the crossbar. I think. When that kind of happens with, with someone of his quality in the air and the, the chances we were creating around the park, you just, you're always worried. Because Palace definitely have some ability themselves and Balassi and Sacco and the likes, but it was, it was actually a, a Liverpool fan, Scott Dan, who came up with the winner. Um, I think Mignolet has to do better personally. Um, it's poor defending from the corner initially, but he just kind of, palms it out into this straight back in front of the six yard box and it's an easy finish for Dan it's just it's the kind of mistake you wouldn't see a top goalkeeper do it's one of those things that like when you're like playing at under 12's level they, they tell you to push it away exactly I mean we had a couple of chances from corners ourselves we actually looked like a team that would score from corner throughout the match not Palace I think Lovren had a couple of efforts, but the difference is that I think it's Hennessy and goal for Palace. He was when he was calling to make a saves, he did. He held on to the ball, and when 
Minulay did. He was he was caught off balance, gone back, and he just kind of knocked it straight back to Dan. Unfortunately, that cost us on the day. Yeah, there was a a lot of talk about the fans leaving early and Klopp saying he wants to give the fans more. Do you, do you have any opinion on that? Yeah, I, I think Klopp was fairly kind, to be honest. I mean, whenever, whenever ever I go to a match, it, it doesn't matter if it's Liverpool or Leinster or Ireland. Like I'd always stay till the final whistle, and sometimes it's tough. Like when you're in the stadium and your team have gone down, but you stay and you support and you clap the team off. It's it's never nice. Like especially obviously for Klopp, like he's he's new in the job and he's trying to galvanise the team. And I think there was 14 minutes left. I think it was around the 82nd minute when the goal went in, and then there was four minutes of injury time. And it can't have been nice for him to turn around and see that the fans just streaming out of the stadium from our home match. Yeah, no, it's it's not nice to see. I, I've been at games myself. Like I, I, I remember clearly a Leinster Munster game was at, and Munster absolutely hammered us. I think, like I think to nil, and there was people streaming out of place. And then those who were staying started like getting angry at those that were leaving, and you could really tell that like they weren't happy with that. And as you say, you should stay to the end to support your team. Yeah, I feel the exact same. I mean, you're not in, in a good mood or a good headspace when your team are losing, especially if they've, they've lost to a rival, as you mentioned, the Munster game. But And then you see your, your supposed fellow fans walking out, and it you're very easily wound up at times like that, and that really does get on my nerves. Um, I, I'm more like, if, if we've had a bad result, I just kind of want to stay in the stadium, like, just as long as possible. But I suppose different people cope with things in different ways. Yeah, exactly. Moving on then, looking at the top two from last weekend, City and Arsenal. They both end up drawing their games. Uh, City drew nil all uh, with Villa. Um, probably one of the high- highlights, I suppose, or one of the bigger talking points of that game was the Gusted throw to, to throw in from the, when the ball was kicked out of play. He threw the ball back and Hart got in the way and a corner was given. Uh it just opened all three years. What do you think of that? Like, was Hart in the wrong? Was Stead in the wrong? Should Villa take him the corner? Yeah, I think it, I think this was Joe Hart's fault. Um, he was he was in a bit of a hurry to get a move on, and you could see like what Gestead's intent was. Like, he was going to give City a goal kick because obviously Villa were trying to or Villa were trying to run down the clock as well. They were trying to hold on to their points, and I don't blame Hart. Obviously, he's trying to get on with things as quickly as possibly, but he couldn't control the ball and it went out for a corner I don't blame Villa for taking it they're fighting for their lives um, but I, in saying that I don't blame Hart either he's trying to get, get on with things yeah I, I agree I, I think that I, I, if Hart wants to get it he try get it but since when he made the mistake and it went out I think Villa were certainly entitled to take the corner and they very nearly scored from it as well yeah it was it was Gestead coming in as well it, w- it would have been very interesting if he had to put that one away I'd say the reaction would have been priceless. Um, but Stephen, looks like Aguero will be back after the international break, so that'll be a huge boost for City. Yeah, they haven't, they haven't missed him as much as they had in previous seasons. I think with De Bruyne and Sterling have been in good form coming into this game. And like, they were still scoring two, three goals every game. But in the game like that where things just aren't going your way, Aguero tends to come up with something magical. And and that's that's why he's one of the best players in the world. I think are they their first game back after the the international break is 
Is it Liverpool? It is Liverpool, yeah, yeah. So, if he's fit and fully healthy for that, then I'd say he'll start. But if there's any doubt, I'd say don't risk him in that game because they need him. And if, if he misses one more game, but he's fit for the rest of the season, then it, it it's worth keeping him on the bench. He's always likely to have an injury throughout the season. Anyway, he, he doesn't go a season without one. So, like, he's had one this season. Can he go the rest of the season without another one? I don't know. It's very unlikely, to be honest. <laughs> um, so then after City drawing nil all, Arsenal couldn't capitalise. And uh, So, Chris, they drew one all with Spurs. Kane and Gibbs with the goals. What do you think of the game? Um, I thought... Spurs played very well for the most part um, I don't think anyone would argue that when, when Kane slotted on that they were by far the better side um, we we talked last week is he back to his best well, the movement he had for that goal certainly indicates if he's not there he's well on his way um, he beat the offside trap very well and slotted a pass check with ease um, I think from there Spurs had a couple of chances to to get the second. I think Eric Dyer had a good chance, and at one nil, there's always the risk. And Arsenal came into the game as well; like they had a couple of chances of their own. Like I know Giroud hit the crossbar, and I think he had a couple of other chances. And as the game went on, I think Spurs kind of seemed to sit back in in little spells and then come again. And it was. It was a set piece that undone them. I think it was a ball in wide from uh, Uzel initially, and they didn't deal with it. And it's it, it Gibbs who pops in at the back post with the goal. But I think he was free because they were too worried about Giroud, who had had a couple of chances before that, and um, they trying to kind of overcompensate, and they just let Gibbs in unmarked. And from there, I think Pochettino had settled for his points I think he's, he thought one all is, is a pretty decent result like away at our biggest rivals and I suppose on, on balance Wenger would would be happy enough as well because probably for about 60-65 minutes Spurs were by far the better side and probably could have been two, two up anyway and possibly out of sight the way they, they've defended lately yeah Gibbs with the goal as we said bit of a makeshift winger he was. He only came on. Arsenal seem to be hit with a fair few injuries at the moment. Um, but in saying that, in the past few seasons, if I had heard Arsenal had been hit with a few injuries, you'd be kind of worried for them. But they still have the likes of Sanchez, Ozil, Giroud. They still have a pretty strong team there. They, do. they certainly do. Um, and the way things have kind of transpired, especially with Man City this year, Arsenal look like the only team at the moment, possibly United, that can actually challenge Man City. Um, the, the only thing you'd, you'd wonder is um, if they get any more. Like They, they seem like they're kind of stretched to the max with the injuries they've got at the moment. Um, like They've got one striker left now with Theo out, so they can't really afford to lose Giroud. And he hasn't really been a manager's favourite throughout the year, so... You'd wonder if uh, if he gets a, a drop in form or wh- where they where the replacement or the competition is going to come from because I think Welbeck is still going to be out for another while. Yeah, it's another while before he's back anyway. 
the problem is that they've always had a, had, had trouble keeping the strikers fit. If you look, even with the um, well back this season, um, because Giroud has has found it difficult to get a long run of games going. Oxley Chamberlain, who can play through there, gets injured a lot. It's it means that they they're never able to go on one of those long runs that can bring them to a title, which is something they're going to need to do eventually if if Wenger is to break this I guess 12 year hoodoo of not winning a league title just when they begin to hit form they pick up injuries now so far so good they're surviving because I think their most important players aren't getting majorly injured but if you lose two of Casorla Osil or Sanchez I think that team falls apart the one thing I would say could be a massive blessing in disguise for them. I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't appreciate it, but if they actually go out of the Champions League, it could give like they could allow them to focus solely on the league, where you, you'd expect Man City to be planning for the knockout stages. If if Arsenal just had a clear run of the league and a week's preparation between matches, they re- it really could make a huge difference for them. It's an interesting point, Ryan. I'd say, as you said, most Arsenal fans wouldn't be too happy to hear that initially. But I'd say, God, they'd all love a, prem- a proper run at the Premier League. Well, if you look realistically, they've been going from quarter-final, 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 last 16, last 16. They're getting further away from the Champions League. Whereas this season, they look as though they're getting close to a Premier League title, albeit early days. That, if Wenger, obviously he's not going to orchestrate it, but if they do lose one of the next two games, go out of the Champions League early, he may be able to get those players back fit now, he, the problem is they'll probably finish third and go into the Europa League and, and that has its own negative effects as, as so many English clubs find out but if he feels a, a second string team that he would in the Carling Cup the way United and Chelsea obviously aren't, aren't at full strength and Man City are always capable of having a run of 3-4 games where they just don't perform well there is a chance for here for Arsenal if they can not have those month-long blips they've had in the past. The interesting one to watch, anyway. You mentioned United there, and uh, Gary Van Gaal has come out and said that he's not happy with his squad. Is that a bit ridiculous? Has he not had enough time to get a squad together? Uh, I, yeah, I think he has had time to get the squad together, but I, United need they need pace on the wings. Like there's I've been the rumours with Mar- people that maybe look at in January, but. Sorry, what's that rumor with Mares? I've I've seen it for a week or two weeks that apparently they, they look uh, to sign Mares in yeah, January. There's been a link between United and, and Arsenal, but but looking at them for the last few weeks. But like we United now, they they beat West Brom two 0 there. Um, they have a great defensive record at the moment. I think it's five games in the Premiership in a row now without conceding. Martial has had a good start to his career. Lingard's emerged emergence in the squad has been quite good. Scored last week. There's not a whole lot wrong with the squad, is there? I, I, United are short in strikers, like, and that's that's been obvious even after signing Martial. That United are short in strikers, and you can see it with them going forward. If he, like we've said the last couple of weeks, play Rooney in behind Martial, but then if you're nil out with 20 minutes to go, you need you need an impact sub like what United have had over the years with Solskjaer with. Hernandez, who now is scoring for fun in Bundesliga, 
and United haven't got that impact player to come off the bench if it's tight game whatever with 20 minutes to go that's where I think they're struggling and they need someone with pace like Mares or when they Neymar who, whoever it might be but that's what they need I think coming off coming off the bench Memphis Depay doesn't seem like he's gonna he could have a he could struggle now for his first season because he did okay at the start but he just had a a serious dip in form and now I don't think he's even bring them off the bench that much anymore. So something has to change going forward. Defence is probably the best it's done for the last couple of years since Ferguson left. It's been it's been good. It's been solid uh, right the way through the through the back four. So there's no arguments there. I think it's just strikers they need. Yeah. So it's like to say he's not happy with the squad. I just think it's a bit much after a year and a half there now. Like. Where maybe it is just the odd striker he needs. I don't think it's the whole squad though. Yeah, I think if you look at if this was some manager bottom half of the table who had fifteen million pounds to spend over the last eighteen months, you could say fair enough. He's still not happy, but Van Hal could have bought almost any player in the world. The funds available to him have been what is it a quarter of a billion pounds spent yeah. since he's arrived. Yeah. You any for the first no for the first year maybe you can say this is my squad because it does take time to get rid of players but he's done that clear out during the summer nanny van percy and and, and the likes who have all gone he's sent a few more out on loan people like adnan yanazai like if he wants wingers or that kind of creative player he has probably with three teams worth of, of left and right sided midfielders who can perform that role his problem is he's, he's carrying Wayne Rooney. And while he's doing that, other players around him aren't able to perform the way they would. I think Depay has had a problem playing at Rooney because he's so used to going, cutting inside into the space Rooney would have been in or playing quickly on, on the counter-attack, which Wayne Rooney is slowing it, moves down. I think Depay is kind of... He settled for the first few games, as Gary said, and then he seemed to dip form in... The, which coincided with, with Wayne Rooney getting worse. So I think if Van Hal finally drops Rooney for a couple of games, the pie could actually help because you'd have Marshall up top, the pie on one side, Matt on the other side, and then maybe Anna Herrera behind. And that would give the pie space, whereas Marshall, I don't think, is as, as dominant as, as Rooney would be in that team. Interesting point, all right. Um, just one last game I want to look at before we move on from the Premiership last weekend was born with Newcastle, the opening game of the weekend. Newcastle really needed the win there, and uh, Rob Elliott had an absolutely cracking game. And uh, I see on, on the back of that, now he's actually been called up to the Ireland squad. Um, but, Chris, do you know, like, what could Bournemouth do to turn their situation around, do you think? I'm not sure there's a lot they can do, to be fair. I know that's not what you want to hear. No. Um being, being your second team these days, but I know my beloved Bournemouth. I just think that the the loss to players and key positions for them is just going to be too much. I mean, they've lost their main striker Callum Wilson, and I think they've lost a couple of defenders as well. And for a team that's small, yeah, uh, for a team that small, I just, I just don't think they can cope. I think for someone like them to stay up, they kind of need to keep everyone fit. And if they can do a hull and kind of get a lot of points at the start of the year or and then kind of nick a couple then throughout like the remainder or 
just kind of be a steady Eddie, something maybe something along the lines of Watford are doing now, but Watford don't have the injuries they do. Yeah, or do a Leicester and uh, just steamroll the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, Leicester are now second season team and they're uh, high flying. Um, just up top, but I just noticed that while they are third in the table, just a point off top, they conceded as many goals as bottom of the table last in the so, <laughs> so that is a, a word of warning if uh, if the goals do dry up, uh, they could have some major problems. Essentially, if Baradaraz stops scoring. Or if one, one or both of them go in January. Yeah, yeah, the, um, I, there could easily be teams coming in, big bids for them. There's talk of um, Big Sam getting 20 million or, or more to try and save Sunderland and already uh, like Charlie Austin's been linked. Um, like we're still, what are we, seven weeks away from the window opening and it's gone into overdrive already. Um, yeah, how big Sam you'd imagine be, James Vardy? You'd imagine there'd be plenty of teams willing to, to shell out 12, maybe even 15 million on Vardy to, if, if he's going to be the man to save them. It's the risk. It's a risk worth taking for them. Absolutely. Um, someone, someone like Aston Villa, like a club like that. It, it depends. Obviously, it depends a bit, a lot on Randy Lerner. Like, is he is he selling the club or is he back now? Is he going to give Remy Gard some money to spend? But I don't think if he does get money, he'd be looking at English players. He'd probably want to bring in some from France, maybe from Lyon players he's worked with before. Yeah. But definitely like an English manager like Sam or even Steve McLaren might might try and get Vardy up to, to Newcastle yeah I think going down to Villa would be too big a step for Vardy and the way he's playing he and bear in mind he's in the England squad so staying in the shop window is another or like playing full time and not going down to Aston Villa would be it's a huge risk for him because if he goes to Villa and stops scoring his Euro 2016 chance they're gone Whereas if he stays with Leicester, it's a safe bet. I think Charlie Austin is is the player people should be looking at. Someone who has proven it, but needs to step up in order to get in. He's probably too far away from the England squad, but at least to get visible. If there's three or four injuries for the England squad, Austin might get a late call-up. Interesting to keep an eye on that. Just one other thing about uh, when we were talking about Newcastle there. Uh, McLaren had a has had a rough start to his Newcastle career. And there was talk that possibly he could be the next manager to go as well. Do you think if he did, and a uh, certain Mr. David Moyes who's been sacked from Sociedad, could he uh, get the Newcastle job? I think he could. I think if McLaren was was to be let go, but he's only eleven matches into his managerial reign in Newcastle. He's got a six-two win and a one-nil win away from home in the last month. I think. You have to keep, like, 12 months is not long enough for anyone. Like We're talking about Van Hal complaining about 18 months and not having his own squad yet. Well, McLaren has only been there for, is it five months? I think it would be incredibly harsh to let someone go. Now, now granted, they had a bad start, but at this early in the season, two wins will jump you six, seven places. If, if they were to let him go, even if they had Moyes lined up, I think it, it would be a, a shocking state of affairs for a club who are running quite poorly anyway it, it, it would be but it probably wouldn't surprise me if it did happen yeah with it being like Ashley exactly you, you, you never know but I think that would be low even even for him 
Anyway, moving on swiftly, talking about I mentioned Rob Elliott there getting called up the Irish squad. A Euro 2016 qualifier against Bosnia this weekend. Two huge games for us. Uh, there's lots of Irish players who are doubt are missing for the Bosnia game though, between injuries and suspensions. And I've heard a lot of Premiership managers come out and saying that they don't think their players should be called up and stuff like like Rob Elliott or McLaren said that they want them wrapped in cotton wool and stuff. There's a huge thing with this whole international football and and club football. There's always going to be a debate about, it, isn't there? Yeah, I. The problem is with Rob Elliott in particular is that he's going potentially trying to get his team to Euro 16. It's different if it's someone like Gareth Bale with Wales, where they're playing international friendlies, and I think they're playing Latvia at home. Like it's it's a game Gareth Bale really doesn't need to play in. But if you're talking about anyone of those eight European teams in the playoffs, for a manager to even question whether or not the player should be picked is ridiculous. Yeah, there should be no question about it, really. Like, getting your country into a major tournament. It's, it's what players want to do. It's what players want to play for. Exactly. It's, it's what kids kids about until they hit 15, 16 and realise they can get paid for being a footballer. It's <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's what you do. You, you, go, you go grab a ball, grab jumpers for goalposts and go and play World Cup or or go score a winning goal for your club in an FA Cup final. These are the things that you dream of as a kid and to be asked not to do that, I think, then maybe he hasn't been asked. Maybe McLaren just wants Elliot to, you know, to not get injured, and that's understandable. But if he even if he said something to him about, about not playing, then McLaren should know. He was former England manager. There's no exactly. way, there's no way that that he should even consider asking asking Ireland or Elliot to, to do that for a game of this importance. Yeah, and um, Darren Murphy scored three for the weekend. There's talk with long injured and stuff that he could start and lead the line against Bosnia. Is he good enough to do that? Like, are we, are we in trouble if Darrell Murphy is leading the line? Or, yeah, let him go for it. I think he could, he could definitely lead the line. And I think even if we could have long on the bench, like he was against Germany, and maybe after an hour or 70 minutes of Murphy kind of working the socks off, he were able to bring on long to kind of stretch him the other way. That could That could work to our advantage. It obviously did against Germany. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Shane Long's main attribute is his, his pace and his, his work ethic. If if we can kind of run the defenders for 70 minutes and, and tire them, even if they're that, just that 5-10% slower than they were at the start of the game, with Long's pace, it could make a massive difference. Yeah, it's just, for games of this importance, for some not even talked about Robbie Keane at all, is just, it's it's a sad bit of a fair because obviously he's been one of our, our great stalwarts, but you just can't contemplate him starting a game of this magnitude of Ireland because while he always scored goals, he never contributed a, hu- a huge amount else. And now I'm not even sure he can contribute those goals for Ireland anymore. Like he's in the squad along with Kevin Doyle, and it's just the two of them since they moved to the US, you you almost forget about Kevin Doyle being over there, and Robbie Keane is more an afterthought unless you're playing the likes of San Marino. Yeah, it was was a hat trick against Georgia and stuff that against the minnows he can do it. Yeah, and he'll always be able to do that because he's a very intelligent player. He's if he's up against footballers who aren't as gifted as he was, 
or aren't as intelligent, he'll do well. But if you're up against international quality players now, Robbie Keane just can't cut it, unfortunately. One of uh, Bosnia's star men, Dzeko, was on the score sheet for Roma last week when they beat Lazio. So it's like he's getting into a bit of form. The problem is it's also Merlin Pjanic for Roma who's on fire. Yeah, I think they have a free kick specialist there. Yeah, and, and with the two of them playing for, or both for Roma right now, they're developing a bit of a kind of a um a link between the two and that could be that could be very worrying for us. So after the away leg, what what would be a good result? Like if we can uh, like if we can hold them to a, a score draw maybe or something like that, is that is that a good result? Yeah, absolutely. Um one all would be a very good result or any any more goals obviously would be a bonus, but I think if we if we can get them back to the Viva with where a nil all is enough, I think it gives us a, a huge chance. Yeah, after after that Germany game, I think the the atmosphere. Stephen, you were at the game, and it, people, and you said it's the best atmosphere you've heard there in a long time. The old Lansdowne roar seems to be back, and it seems like the fans have something to cheer about all of a sudden again. Yeah, that was definitely the case. Although it did take a while, I think everyone at the game was thinking that it was going to be the same old Germany rock up and win 6-1 and it's only in the second half when the players themselves got belief that the crowd responded now I think going into this game knowing it's the playoff if they have anything to hold on to or if any result even a draw or, or nil all draw providing we don't lose in Bosnia I think the, the fans will be hugely behind them and even if it's a 2-1 loss or a 3-2 loss you still have the crowd yeah I, I think I think to get, a, to get the crowd going you always need the players to do something on the pitch to do it and as you said in the second half we got a, the players got a bit of belief so we got a bit of belief yeah definitely that was the case um, at half time everyone kind of took a breath realised that Germany weren't quite on they were playing well but they weren't playing the way they were in the World Cup or anything and the more chances they missed and the more Wales Hulan had gotten the ball and kind of brought us out because the first half was very much just a defensive wall of, of of 11 players and the Germans playing in front of us. And then when we started pushing out and moving more forward, Hulan got the ball, um, McCarthy got more involved, and they just physically, you could see them growing in stature. People like Cyrus Christie, who had an early few minutes, suddenly became confident and played very, very well. I think if they can even away in Bosnia if they can keep it tight for for the first half not concede at all ideally but even they just concede one goal and then they can grow into this game because like you said once you don't come back to Ireland with with a two three goal loss there's always a chance in that stadium now yeah definitely um Gary uh you were watching some game in that stadium there over the weekend when uh Dundalk beat Cork and you're also watching your beloved shells yeah, well, we we leave shells out of it unfortunately. It was only the the shells ladies team, but lost on penalty. So Shelburne's curse in that stadium continues. <laughs> <laughs> the last time they were there as well, they lost to Sligo in in the the cup final as well in two thousand and eleven, two thousand and twelve. So it hasn't been a, a good ground for us. But uh, uh, Dundalk, on the other hand, yeah, Dundalk have done have done the double now this year, and they've been. They've been the best team in Ireland the last the last two years, maybe even three. Just Stephen Kenny's done a good job 
in getting that squad together. Like um, they've got a good spine going through the team with Gary Rogers, Brian Gartland, Andy Boyle, and obviously Richie Towell then in in midfield who scored the winner at the weekend. And now looks like he's probably going to get his move uh, back to England after coming back to Ireland from Celtic. Has he been linked to a few clubs over there? Yeah, he's been linked with he's been linked with Peterborough. He's been linked with uh, Bristol Rovers, and there's I know there's one or two Championship teams that are looking at him. Huddersfield, uh, Blackburn have been linked. Who's Cardiff? That's been the other one. Right. So he he'd probably go over, do a couple of trial sessions, and see how he gets on. But he's he's too good for he's too good for the Irish League and I've actually seen some things over the weekend saying why he hasn't been given a chance in the Irish squad considering Martin only insists on calling up people like Paul Green Richie Towles a lot better than Paul Green give him a chance like through Chapitoni's own fault Ireland lost probably four years of Wes Houlihan's peak for similar stubbornness give Richie Towles a chance and see see what he can do We'll get that trend on Twitter there, Gary. <laughs> oh, it's it's not just me. There's a few, there's a few people I've seen on different on different forums or whatever saying saying the exact same. Hashtag bring the towel. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. No, well, I, <laughs> no. To be fair though, if you look at look at the midfielder, okay, take the standard of the league into account. But he's got over twenty odd goals as an attacking midfielder. So effectively, Wes Houlihan's position. It doesn't matter what league you do it in, whether it's your home league or whatever. If you got that kind of scoring, scoring ratio, and I think he did something similar as well last season, why wouldn't you give him a chance? Especially when I think they originally had it was a thirty-nine man squad. As in, it's not as if you're only calling up twenty-three players. He had, he called up a lot of people in, in in that squad. Some of which was it. Pauling Pogreen was in that squad, Simon Cox was in that squad, Anthony Stokes was in that squad. It's, it's not as if Tell's competing against Premier League starters here. No, and like I said, Richie Tell had he did he did very well up at Celtic. I, I think it was just it was homesickness, so he came back and there wants wants to move on again. But he did play very well in Scotland, and he he probably would be a very good Championship player. Whether he'll make it to the Premiership with the likes of Wes Hula and Seamus Coleman, that is is anyone's guess but he would make a very good championship player and there are good Irish players who have come from the League of Ireland playing in the championship in League 1 that probably should be given more of a chance in the squad as well considering we don't have the some of the greater options at the moment it would be nice to see them given a chance alright um, 25,000 turned up at the Viva for the final uh, do people in this country care enough about League of Ireland soccer do you think Gary? no unfortunately <laughs> Uh, like, like twenty five. Probably the biggest fan of it that I know. Yeah, like I've I've been a Shells fan the best part of twenty two, twenty three years. Showing your so age. So I, yeah, <laughs> ninety ninety two, ninety three would have been uh, the first game I went to see, and I was actually against Dundalk. But the um, no, a lot of the Dublin teams have a good fan base, and maybe Sligo, Sligo always travel well, and so do Cork. But I don't think there's an I don't think there's enough interest in it because the FAI haven't done enough to promote it. And even you see, for winning the domestic league, I think the, I think the clubs get 150,000. That's it for winning your domestic league. For winning the cup, I think is an extra 50. Where you compare that to the Premiership, winning the Premiership, the League Cup, the FA Cup, they're probably in 
the millions or at least well over we'd say one and a half two million oh well, to win so, the premiership alone it's definitely millions and millions and millions yeah so you can't expect like uh, the majority of these players are all semi semi professionals so they work their normal job go to, go to train after it's just like just like anyone but if you want if you want the league to do well and to get an interest like I said you see players coming through like if you look at the Irish squad at the moment you've probably got seven or eight minimum who've come out of the League of Ireland Stokes Coleman David Ford uh, Wes Houlihan they've all come from the League of Ireland but I think people kind of tend to forget that so my next question then is what can be done to promote the game to get more people going get more people involved uh, get John Delaney to stop being such a tight bollocks and give the, give the league money it's the it, it, it's genuinely it's the only thing because the fans are there particularly the Dublin teams when Shells once upon a time were in, the, were in the Premier Division the rivalry between all the Dublin teams is some of the best atmosphere you'll actually see between Bowes, Shamrock Rovers, Pats and Shelburne the rivalry between those four clubs is like on a, on a Dublin derby night in whether it's in Talca Park Daly Mount Tallis Stadium the atmosphere is always good so the following is there, the support is there. They just need, they just need more exposure. Like as it is, I think RTE for a domestic league show twelve to fourteen games a season, and that's it. It'd be nice to see them showing a few more then, wouldn't it? Yeah, like even if they're just to do one a week, like it's a similar setup to the Premiership Friday, Saturday, and Sunday games. So just show, just show one of them. We can get five or six games shown from England. Why not have? couple more from our own league and see what happens from there interesting point speaking of uh, when you said the Shells were in the Premier League see Finn Harps are back in the Premier League 17 year old BJ Banda scored the winner yeah I saw I, I saw Finn I saw Finn Harps beat uh, they beat Limerick they probably I'd say they probably deserve to get back up they do again they do have uh, a decent decent travelling fans and they do have good supporters but they also have probably the coldest stadium in Ireland up in Bally Buffet, so I'm kind of kind of happy Shelburne aren't in there because I did I never enjoyed that away trip. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> um, moving away from the football talk, and we'll have a chat about some rugby. And uh, in the Pro 12 last weekend, it was a good weekend for the Irish provinces with all four winning. And uh, Connacht now topped the league after beating Treviso 33-19. Leinster beating Scarlets 19-15 as Scarlets' first loss of the season. Uh, Munster scraping away win against Edinburgh when they won 16-14 and Ulster win away against the Dragons 19-12. So far so good for the Irish teams, Chris. Yeah, the the bet I wanted to put on last week and it came in. (laughs) (laughs) Forgot about that. For uh, Paddy Power need to get their prices up earlier. (laughs) <laughs> although maybe it was a, a tactical decision to leave it to later in the week um, yes great performances or great results to say for, for the four provinces I think that definitely Munster winning away at Edinburgh is a, a big win I wouldn't um, quite call it a big win if you watch the game <laughs> well maybe was... not in terms of the scoreboard but in terms of picking up four points away in Edinburgh is not easy no, but we do have, for some reason, much of a very good record there over, over the last few seasons. I think Leinster tend to struggle there. We tend to struggle more in Glasgow. I'm not sure why. 
Yeah, we, Leinster certainly have. I think it's the last two seasons we've lost there. I know we lost in the opening day of the weekend there. Um, nice to see Connacht at the top of the league, though, isn't it? I know they only lost the two players during the World Cup, and that's certainly got a big part to do with but do to do with it. But certainly, with the good start they've had, they should certainly be aiming for the top four. I think well, top four is right now. That's what they should be aiming for. But realistically, I think they need top six. If, top six get that yeah, Champions Cup place. Exactly. If you look at. I think seven, was seven last year where they got in the playoff. You're having to play two playoff games, one against the English yeah. team, one against the French team. That's very difficult of, of, of where you are. But Conor in particular, with, with the squad depth they have had in previous years, just don't have the depth to go that deep in a row. Um, I think we expect them to not fall away now, but they only had two pairs away. I think that's when the likes of Leinster had a full team, and Munster had six, Ulster had a similar number. And then the Welsh teams were decimated, so you you think they're going to fall back a little bit, but it's huge for them because if they don't do it this year, then there's already talks of Henshaw looking looking abroad or looking to one of the other provinces. They can I'm keep. Sure, I was going to ask you there. Do you think if sorry to cut across there, but do you think if if Connacht do get Champions Cup rugby, could he stay? Could he sign another two-year contract? I do. I think because it's not a five-year deal, it's not. He's, he's not committing till twenty twenty. If his contract, if Connacht qualify, I'd say like he's. I know he's he's West Mead. He's got loan. He's right on the border of Connacht Leinster. So, um, but he's loyal to Connacht, and providing the IRFU give him a central contract with enough money, I'd say he'd stay because the contract itself isn't going to. If he stays in Ireland, the money isn't going to differ between staying at Connacht and staying at Leinster. The only thing would be that he doesn't have European top-level rugby. And if Connacht can get top six and can get into the the Champions Cup next year, I don't see why you wouldn't leave. Because it's, it's an exciting team. Like They were top try scorers coming into this game. Um, they picked up, I think, four bonus point wins. Like This is a team on the up. And with Henshaw, like, Henshaw wasn't even there for the first six games. So their star players that were was missing and they still won five of six. So... If, like, this if, could be a pivotal season then for Connacht in the fact that if they do get it then it could be on a huge upward trend for them yeah now we everyone said that last year and they were the game close to getting the year up and I think people thought right if they didn't get it last year then Henshaw will go but with the start they've had this now becomes a pivotal one um, so on leaps and bounds on the last let's say five years Pat Lamb's done a fantastic job there yeah I think we all started off with um but Ralph Keyes, but um, Eric Edward, sorry, the other out half. Um, he he brought them through, kind of instilled a bit of a winning mind. I know they went through a, a five-month losing spell, but the European experience under Elwood brought them through. This, I think having the Italian teams in the league has helped them because they're now not the, the worst team and they're able to, to get wins against them. And then, like I said, with Lamb and his contacts and especially the RFU, they've put money in since Lamb came in. And the ability to bring across people like Fox Matamua and people like um, Mills Money, you know, for better or worse. Um, they, they're seeing an, almost an, an instant comeback in that money with, 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 with performances, which would encourage IRFU to invest more in them, which is only a good thing for Irish rugby to have four competitive teams instead of three. Yeah. Speaking of the Champions Cup there then, Leinster are playing Wasp this Sunday. It looks like... Uh... Chris, it looks like Carney and Luke Fitzgerald, or Rob Carney and Luke Fitzgerald, 
could be uh, our doubts for the game. But apart from that, they seem to have all their big guns back. Yeah, I think the the big benefit for this one is it it's the home game. You'd nearly want four or five points. Toulon and Bath in the group as well, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, Toulon's going to be extremely difficult. Um, we didn't didn't fare to, we did well against that um, last year when they were over. Um, but yeah, like you say, we we got to win the home games. If we can pick up five points, even better. Um, the main the main thing is just I, I would say for the game to be calm. Like we'll have we have sex and like to, don't be afraid to take the points early on and don't go chasing the game too soon. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, Lens are so many talent in their back line now. They've got lots of options. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it'd be, it's kind of, I'm kind of looking forward to see how um, how Leo does now that he's got a, a full kind of roster to choose from with, uh, with all the World Cup players kind of blended back into the team after the, the tournament in, the, in the, uh, the autumn. Yeah, it's exciting times for right, Leinster. And uh, Stephen, just a quick word on Munster. They're playing Treviso now. That should be five points in the bag, really, shouldn't it? Yeah, I think you, you really couldn't ask for a better fixture. Treviso at home. It allows you to get into competition. There's no reason we didn't get five points against them in the opening game of the season, but <clears throat> it was the opening game of the season, so I think they were a little bit ring rusty. Some of the players were away. Um, yeah, five points. It, it, it's a must. It should happen. Like, I can't see any reason why it wouldn't happen. And then we see what happens in the Leicester Stade game and see where we are. Exactly. I'd say for me, the game of the round is Toulon at home against Bath. Like that should be a cracking game. Any games stand out for the rest of us? Sarsons to lose could be good as well. That the game. Leicester Stade could be an, an interesting one as well. Yeah, I, I do love these kind of previously Heineken Cup now Champions Cup weekends this is always cracking games on I know uh, Stad have been pretty poor in France but they did beat Claremont at the weekend I think yeah just just when we didn't want Stad France picking up form are any is going to any of the games no unfortunately the Munster game is in Limerick and I'm in Cork so they, they picked the wrong city although in fairness they're always going to be in Limerick for Heineken Cup Sorry, Champions Cup. <laughs> Sponsored by Heineken. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely stuff. Um, all right, moving on there. Chris, uh, do you have a bit of a chat about the UFC now? Yeah. Um, UFC Sao Paulo was on Saturday night. Um, I suppose in the, in the main event, it was kind of a repeat of the, the last time Belfort and Henderson fought. It was a very quick first round stoppage. Um, disappointing one for me. I'm a Henderson fan. I was kind of hoping he could win the rubber match. They, they both won a fight each before this, but it went the way of Vitor Belfort. Um, not, not much action in the first minute or so, and they're feeling each other out. And then Vitor just lands a head kick, and that was pretty much it all over. Um, he just swore all over Henderson, and the referee jumped in. Um, apart from that there was a, a very impressive win from uh, Glover Teixeira in the co-main he was fighting um, Patrick Cummins and Glover um, just picked him apart on the feet like his boxing was just different class um, Cummins was, was very tough he, he secured a number of takedowns but he just couldn't hold Teixeira down and 
in the end he just he couldn't take that any more punishment and to share one by a TKO. Um, the other one that I'd just like to mention um, would be Thomas Almeida, who had a sensational performance. Um, one of the most spectacular knockouts I've seen in a long time over Anthony Burchak. Um, huge win for Almeida, and he's got to be pretty close to a title contention. Um, I know there's a, a title fight coming up with um, Cruz and... Uh, TJ Dillashaw in January I think but Almeida's got to be pretty close to fighting the winner of that one Excellent Uh, Uh, Is there any other events coming up now in the near future? Yeah well there's the big one then this weekend that we talked about before in in Melbourne Australia Yeah It's um, at the Etihad with Rousey and Home main events and then Joanny and Jacek and Valerie Letourneau is the co-main um, it's a pretty impressive card. They've also got Mark Hunt and Bigfoot Silva, Uriah Hall against Robert Whitaker. He's the homeboy, and then you got Stefan Struve against Russell. So card I'm really into, and looks like it's going to be a record for the UFC with the, the highest attendance at a, at a, a fight um, anywhere in the world in terms of MMA. Good stuff. Sounds like a big one. All right. Um, just one thing. Does Holly Holm have a chance? Um, Realistically. No. Cool. <laughs> um, it's, it's a bit harsh. Like she's obviously a former world champion boxer, but against Rousey, I just don't see it. Um, like Holly Holm is a very good boxer, but a technical one, if you know what I mean. Like she's not a knockout puncher. Yeah. Yeah. So for her to do well, she's gonna have to get in close to Rousey, and if she does get in close, Rousey's just gonna grab a hold of her and take her down with her judo. Um, like there's always a chance, and, and Holly Holm's not a nobody. Like she's she's a talented athlete. Like she's nine and zero in MMA, but just in terms of her her experience compared to Rousey, I just think she is a long way behind the champ. And I don't see anything other than a Rousey win. And I think that it goes to show. Like I had a, a look in the bookies there earlier, and Rousey is ten to one on to win by submission or TKO or stoppage. <laughs> Money, Sorry, just one more there, Chris. Did you see um, about GSP going into a, a train, six-week training camp to see if he still has it to make a comeback? Yeah, I did see that. Um, I was actually at a, a Q&A over here just before the um, the UFC fight night in, in Dublin. Um, Rory MacDonald was, uh, was answering questions. He's a, a long-time training partner with GSP and a couple of the crowd are asking him questions trying to get hints as to whether GSP would be back or not and he said he didn't know anything and then someone kind of asked the question a little bit differently about how they thought it would like it would play out if GSP came back and fought for the belts and then Rory kind of let it slip that um they'd had a chat about it and GSP wouldn't be coming back for the belts so obviously the fans kind of jumped on that and Rory said it was kind of taken out of context but Indications are that GSP will come back for at least one more fight, um, possibly against Adrian Silva when his suspension's up. But um, there's been rumours for that to happen for a long time, so I don't know if it ever will. Cool. Thanks for that. Just to wrap things up here, Stephen, what the hell is going on in the athletics and with Russia? 
Um, something that I think a lot of people have known about for a long time, but because it's Russia, they're just too powerful to. Well, I think everyone thought they were too powerful to um to bring out into the open. Um, on the face of it, it looks as though five coaches and five athletes have are going to face lifetime bans for abusing the drug system, but it's it's essentially coming down to a systematic. Um, process in Russian athletics where the Russian Fe- Athletic Federation the Russian doping um, board or, or council and it goes up as high as the Russian sports minister himself have have basically been allowing Russian athletes to dope and have organised it or kind of conspired to allow doping athletes to compete in major in major events and to win Olympic and world medals. It's what, I, what, what I have here is that, according to the World Anti-Doping Agency, 1,417 samples were destroyed to cover up, cover up positive tests in Russia. Yeah, well that, what, what they come out is that there is a, a lab in Moscow set up to monitor doping control. However, the Russians built a second one, whose so sole purpose was to destroy the samples they found were positive. So, so what happened was the... I think it was WADA, the World Anti-Doping Authority or Association Agency, yes, um, had announced they were going going to visit to do some basically to monitor the lab. So the head scientist or the head tester basically removed 1,447 samples, and when the WADA agents arrived, were told we don't have these samples. <laughs> It's it's it, it, it's endemic and it's it's something people have known about for a long time. Like even as far back as the Cold War days, there was it was always the the U.S. athletes were always accused of doping and it being systematic throughout throughout the the Russian government. And now at least we have evidence. It looks like Dick Pound, the the investigator who went after Lance Armstrong, has now gone after or was asked to go after the the Russian athletic organization and it looks so it might even come down to the entire Russian athletic federation being banned from Rio 2016. Yeah uh, one of my favorite quotes here is that the WADA their findings say that there is a deeply rooted culture of cheating like it, it is it's it's up at all levels isn't it really they like they've all known about it they're all hiding it. Yeah there's no one in in Russian sport who didn't know this was happening that this isn't a you it is, it is like cycling there was everyone knew about it no one talked about it you you hear athletes come out now and say look we all knew it was happening but without proof there's not much we can do like you doped up elephant in the room then was it <laughs> yeah the is it white elephant <laughs> yeah. probably having an overdose um yeah, it, it's been done for years this is obviously huge huge for every other nation competing in rio if russia aren't there now you hope like, there's been talk from Kenyans that eat the open for years about long distance running that a similar process is in place there. You wonder if, if that's the next place where, where Dick Pound and his agents are going to go. To get to the bottom of yet another Yeah, case. Now, it does have well, from one of the athletes, the five who are banned is is a fifty K walker, which means that our own Rob Heffernan will jump well, it, it, uh, it's, it's almost definite that he'll move from fourth to third in the London Olympics, so he'll pick up his first Olympic medal. Which, which speed is, walk his way into the medal. 
Yeah, I, think I, I remember watching that race and he had a huge, he really had high hopes for of a medal and watching him kind of, I, I think he was second for a long time and then being passed third and fourth and it was a horrible day for him. But now it looks like he'll, albeit three years later, he'll, he'll get a medal for all this hard work. Excellent. I, I do actually remember watching that when I was over in Spain. But uh, yeah, no, good stuff. Um, that's it pretty much for a week, another week here in uh, one more round. There's uh, no bet this week because international football and stuff, but we do have to get to the bottom of this question of the week. And uh, Gary, I'm going to go straight to you and hope and pray that you have the right answer for me here. <laughs> so, Gary, what team has the most red cards in Premiership history? I have, I have two in my head, so go to someone else first because I... I... I'm trying to decide between these two. <laughs> Did the guy realise that if me and Chris say the other two, he can't have either one? <laughs> it does, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, right, Stephen, go on. I'm going to go with Arsene Wenger's filthy Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> and do you, do you want to have a stab at how many red cards there has been? 91. Okay, and uh, Chris? Yeah, I think Stephen's right. Um, I certainly remember the early days with, with Vieira and Petit. They had a reputation for being quite the, the dirty team. Um, kind of ironic as, as Wenger was to go on and criticise teams for kicking Arsenal. <laughs> um, as for a, a number, I'll say 110. All right, um, come back to you, Gary. Right, the, the two I had was Arsenal and Everton. Damn, so, damn. Yeah, because Everton at one point had Duncan Ferguson, Richard Dunn, and players like that playing for them. So there was a fair few red cards between them. I'll go. I'll, I'll go with Arsenal, and I think it was seventy. Okay, uh, none of you are right. It was not Arsenal. According to the, my research here, Liverpool? Blackburn lead the red card charts. With 75 red cards. It's impressive considering how long they've been out of the Premiership. Oh, I know, isn't it? Yeah. They had, they had like, uh, David Batty and all that, though, didn't they? Robbie Savage. Robbie Tim Savage. Sherwood. Yeah, they, they had a few... Uh, I'm sure. You guys weren't afraid to stick the boot in. <laughs> okay, Glenn, pick up your second point. I pick up my second point. That means, uh, Gary, it's you choosing the uh, topic for next <laughs> week again. <laughs> Oh, the joys. <laughs> <laughs> we should not uh, choose Shelburne. Yeah, <laughs> Make it easy on yourself. <laughs> no, no. That's Jeff's issue. Just get into the game. No, no. We, we, we keep it fair enough for the moment. If it's, la if it's last day of the season and I'm still wooden spoon, <laughs> then, we'll, then we'll see. As I said, Gary, think positive. I am. Uh, <laughs> that's positive. Anyway. <laughs> it is for me <laughs> that's it for another episode of One More Round <laughs> Gary ends it on a positive note for us um, we mentioned on social media earlier today that we have some news to fill you all in on yeah, fill you all in on even so uh, Stephen you've been working very hard over the last few days so I'll let you fill everyone in on the hard work you've been doing yeah um, a lot of hard work just to tell everyone that we are now on iTunes Um if you search for us under sports and professional because we are professional um <laughs> it's under one more round podcast and the author is the number one so search for one more round podcast or the number one more, more round podcast and we'll hopefully be there 
all 15 episodes excellent and as always you can find us on all social media platforms facebook at one more round that's the number one twitter one more round pod i believe that's the number one as well is it and then we've got contact us on email at one more round at gmail.com get us on our website at one more round podcast.wordpress.com and that's the number one spelled out o-n-e and thanks so much for joining me this week guys enjoy the rest of your week and hopefully when we are recording next week We'll be celebrating Ireland qualifying for France 2016. So, until next week, lads, thanks and goodbye. Goodbye. Right. Take it easy. Now get up one more round. Don't lay down like this guy hard. Come on, come on. He's no machine. I get the Nobel. Get up, you son of a bitch. It's making love.